Well, as we begin today, I want to start first by thanking you all for all the prayers you've been praying this past week for myself, my dad, and my many siblings. I can tell you that I have definitely felt God's overwhelming peace. I've felt the support of this church, and uh, it is only because of that that what you all have been doing, it's been a, an easier week than it could have been. If you were not here last week, I shared with the congregation that uh, my father surfaced after 25 years, and if you don't know much of my story, um, you've heard it before, but my dad was an abusive father. I was kicked out of the house at the age of 16. The last time that I saw my father was when I was 19, when I returned from college to go back to Dallas to tell my dad that I forgave him for the abuse and to share the gospel with him. The next time that I saw my dad was at my wedding 26 years ago. I invited him to come and he showed up, in which case one of my brothers left the wedding, said, if he's here, I'm not gonna be here. And uh, the last time that I spoke to my dad after that was about 18 years ago when his mother died and his brother in Canada called me. So it's been about 18 years of silence. I've tried to connect with my dad many times over that period, and uh, he did not want any kind of a relationship, would not answer the phone. And I was called by a social worker uh, last Tuesday and said that my dad was in a desperate situation, was homeless and hurt and needed some help. And so Friday I went to see my dad and I'll share a little bit more in this message about what happened uh, when I talked with him. But again, I wanna thank you all so much for your prayers uh, over this process. And uh, today we're gonna be talking about prayer. So I invite you to turn in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, we find the parable of the persistent widow. And as you look at my message title, I've titled it Push. And that doesn't mean that we're to be pushy with God, but what it does mean is we are to pray until something happens. So that's what P-U-S-H is for, pray until something happens. Now when it comes to prayer, many of us have probably come to a point sometime in our life where we've wanted to stop praying. Maybe we've been discouraged disappointed by the answers or the lack of answers as we see it. And we thought, why not just bail out and abandon what we've been praying for? But as we're going to see today in Luke chapter 18, God tells us that he wants us to persevere in our prayer with him. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verses 1 through 8, we're told, now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by her continually coming to me, she will wear me out." And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said now. Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he, not, will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You see, as Jesus is telling them this parable, the application is very clear for us. In fact, God gives it to us right up front. He says they should always pray and not give up. Other translations use the word, we ought to pray. Now, the Greek word here is even stronger. It's, it's actually an imperative command, and it says, we must 
pray. Now, as we pray, we're told here not to lose heart. The King James says not to faint. If you've ever felt faint, you know that you lose strength and you can simply collapse. The Greek word is actually a word here that means not to fear. We're not only not to become discouraged and faint, but it says we're not to fear. If you've ever grown faint, if you've ever grown weak in your, your walk with God, your faith, your faith, you know you can get to a point where you just say, why am I even talking to God? Why am I even praying? Why am I even trying? As you think about losing hope, um, an illustration that may be applicable to some is if you've ever tried to lose weight. And you know that over time you start to feel like, what good is it? I'm, I'm exercising, I'm dieting, and I don't seem to be making any progress. Some are on the other side where they're saying, I want to I get muscular. And the same thing, you're in there working out over and over and you're not seeing any results. And you want to, those good intentions lead to discouragement and you want to quit. But if you've ever stuck with it and you keep putting in the work, you know that over time you will see some type of results. Now, part of the problem when it comes to persevering, just in life in general, is that we live in a society today that has a microwave mentality. We're, we're used to getting things like that. You know, if you want to heat or cook something, it can be done in seconds, if not minutes. Uh, we live in a society where you order something and it's there immediately. You email somebody. Nowadays, we text them and we get immediate results. And so when we persevere in a situation where we've been asking God for something, there's this mindset that I'm afraid many of us as Christians have come up with that God is like a genie in a lamp. And we just kind of rub the lamp and we say those magic words in Jesus' name and poof, our, our request is supposed to be answered, right? And so what happens is when that doesn't happen, we may think the lamp is broken. We may f have this faulty view of God and, and we give up. But as we look at this parable, what Jesus does is he paints a picture of us of who God is and what he wants us to do, and he contrasts it with an unrighteous judge. He says in verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Now, because we're told he did not fear God, you'll recall that in the day in which Jesus walked the earth, a lot of the judges were Jewish religious leaders. There were councils like the Sanhedrin, there were courts that were overseen by the religious leaders. But in this case, the judge is probably not one of the Jewish religious leaders. Rome was in power during that time as well. And you could buy judgeships from the Roman government. You could, uh, through currying favor, or doing things, we see something like this in our own political system where people will bundle contributions and they're given some kind of a position later. Uh, so there were people who could buy a judgeship and in all likelihood this was some kind of a Roman appointee because he had no fear of God. And what these judges would do is they would earn their money back, the fee they paid to the government by people giving them bribes when a case was heard and people would buy their justice from them. And we're told that a widow comes along. Now, in the scriptures, we know that a widow had two problems in that day. First of all, they were usually penniless and broke. They were the ones who would glean from the fields. They, they had no support. So this is a woman who didn't have any money to buy her justice. And the second problem she had was that in the first century, a woman had no legal standing, no rights. She had to have a man who would represent her in court. And as a widow with no husband, there's no man to represent her. So she walks into the courtroom seeking justice 
we were told that she's out of luck. As she walks in and the judge looks at her, she sees a, he sees this penniless widow. He goes, I'm not going to get any money from her. So he slams down the gavel and he says, next case, get out of here. Now, the woman comes back the next day. He sees her again, slams next. And this happens day after day. Well, it, we're told that the woman doesn't give up. She keeps coming day after day. And verse 5 tells us there was this widow, in, uh, verse 3, there was this widow in the city and she kept coming and saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. Now, we're told for a while he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. This word for wearing him out is, is a great word because it literally means to give him a black eye. Now, you, what's happening here is not this widow with this cane is going to jump up there and whack him upside the head and give him a black eye. But what happens is he knows everywhere I go, there she is. She's there in the courtroom when he leaves and he's walking out. She's there standing on the corner. She's probably standing outside his house. I mean, literally, this woman is stalking him. And everywhere he goes, there she is. And she will give him no peace. He's out hanging out with his buddies, having a meal, and she's looking in the window. And so after a while, he just finally says, you know what? I really don't care about justice. But to get a little peace from her, I will hear her case. Now, some of you who are parents know what this feels like, right? You've told your kids no. And they come back and they ask again, and the answer is still no. And over and over, they pester you and they nag you. And they wear you out to the point sometimes you think, you know, I might as well just say yes. Now, that's not good parenting, by the way. <laughs> but it's just the reality of life. Sometimes we get so worn out. And so maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, so the secret to getting what I want is to keep bothering God, right? I'm going to keep repeating that same prayer over and over and over. And, and God will finally have to answer it. If that's what you're thinking, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 tells us this. It says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Now, another thing the Bible warns us about in prayers in James 4, 3, it tells us, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see, the secret to successful prayer is not just pestering God. He wants us to persevere. He wants us to see uh, that, that we are coming to him as our father with a request. And yet what he says is, if the request you're making is a wrong request, I'm not going to give it to you. Just hear that now. That's God speaking, not me. Um, there's a man by the name of E. Stanley Jones, and he illustrates prayer this way. He says, if I'm out in a boat and I throw an anchor from the boat and I catch hold of the shore and I pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull the boat to the shore? You see, that's the purpose of prayer. Prayer is not trying to pull God to us, get him to come over to our side. What prayer does is it pulls us to God. The Bible tells us very clearly, when we pray, we are to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If our, what we're asking is not in line with God's will, then it will not be answered. But what prayer can do is pull us to God's will. It can cause us to be aligned to who and what God wants us to be doing. 
As Jesus talked to the disciples here about persevering in prayer, you can look at the context here in Luke chapter 17. What Jesus had been doing was he was speaking of the coming kingdom of God. And then he comes around to speak about prayer. And this is, and, uh, and is asking us to align ourselves with God and his plan. He tells his followers in Luke 17, 18, he says, will there be faith found when Jesus returns? The kingdom is coming. And the question is, where will we be when that time comes? As Christians, we will be home with the Lord. But will we be those who are closer to what God is wanting us doing than the reverse, where we try to get God to do what we want? Now, to reinforce the fact that prayer is about getting God's will done and not ours, you can turn back a few chapters to Luke chapter 11. Earlier, if you were reading through the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 11, God gives some instruction on prayer there. This is where we get what we call the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father. Because there Jesus was asked by the disciples, how are we to pray? And as the Lord taught them to pray, he said, you start by saying, Our Father, Abba, Daddy. And what Jesus was teaching them is when we pray, we approach God not as some unrighteous judge, but we approach him as the Father. We're to pray, Daddy. And then we pray, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer, you can see in Luke eleven five, 5, he tells them another parable right after that on prayer. And that one is about persevering in prayer. And that one, he uses the illustration of a friend who comes to a home at midnight. And he knocks on the door and he needs something from his friend. And the homeowner and his family are in bed and the man says, go away. But Luke eleven eight says, this friend keeps persisting and knocking and knocking. And Jesus says, I tell you that even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then Jesus says in verses 9 through 13 of Luke 11, So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you, fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Jesus says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, the teaching there and here is the same. It shows that God is good, not unrighteous. And it shows that God has our interest at heart. And he will respond because of that relationship that we have. As you look back here at our passage in Luke 18, verses 6 or 8 tell us, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said now. Will not God bring about justice? For who? It says for his elect. The elect are those who have been called, those who are Christians, those who have come to faith. So here's the relationship. It says he will bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and he will not delay. And, and day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes, will he find faith on the earth? So the contrast that we've seen here is that God says there is this unjust judge. He's unrighteous, but we have God who is called the righteous judge. And beyond that, he is a loving father. 
He's not like my dad was when I was growing up. He is a perfect father. And I know many of you here have grown up in situations where your parents were imperfect. Those of you who are parents, just like myself, we beat ourselves up all the time wondering if I ruin my children, are they going to be in therapy the rest of their life because of me? And while we are imperfect, we have a perfect father in heaven. And he is the picture here. The widow was a stranger here. This guy said, I have no relationship to her. I have no, no reason to give her justice. And yet for us, we have a relationship. We are children of God, the elect. Those who have turned to Jesus to be their savior are in the family. The Bible says we've been adopted as sons and daughters. The unjust judge saw a woman all alone in court. As you read through the Bible, what we're told about Jesus is that he is our advocate. This is a word that literally means our attorney. We have a lawyer, a perfect lawyer, who is with us in heaven. And beyond that, he is more than just the advocate. He is the high priest. He is the one who made the sacrifice. So we have an attorney and the atonement who represents us before God. And God the Father will give to Jesus what he asks for us. Here we're told in Luke eleven thirteen, if we being evil can give good things to our kids, how much more can God, who is good, give good things to us? The scriptures tell us in 1 John 2, 1, that Jesus is our advocate. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 says he is our high priest. As you think about this woman here and the persistence she shows and, and how it causes this unjust judge to act, how much more will it cause us as a parent who loves our children to ask when they make a request, and then you multiply that with God being the perfect father as he responds to us. <clears throat> now, as I said earlier, the problem comes and that many times we're unwilling to persist in our prayers. We've asked, we haven't received, and we say, that's it, I give up. But here it says in verse 8 that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Now, when you look at the word quickly, it can be translated as suddenly. And it, it, it has the idea of happening all at once instead of gradually. It, it refers not so much to the speed as much as the immediacy of the, the request being answered. Now, when it comes to defining speed, that's kind of relative, isn't it? For instance, if you talk to somebody who has just gotten engaged, have you ever thought to yourself, wow, that kind of happened pretty quick? But that's, that's a relative term, isn't it? I mean, we talk, I talk to people today who grew up during the wartime that said, you know, Roger, we met and married in two weeks and we're celebrating our 50, 60th anniversary. Now, I don't recommend that to couples today, but usually what happens is somebody will, will meet and they will marry and, and people will look at them sometimes and think, well, that was pretty quick. Now, in some cases, they've been dating for months. Others will say that they've been together for more than a year. But it's, when we deal with time, it's relative to us. When we define time when it relates to God, do you know how God defines time? First of all, he's infinite. And he, what, he transcends our idea of time. But if you're sitting here saying, well, give me a, a, a clear definition. This is how the Bible defines time with God. It says in 2 Peter 3.8, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So if you want to try to translate this literally, that means that 41 years for us is one hour to God. 41 years is one hour. 
Six to eight months would be a minute, and three and a half days is a split second. So how long have you been praying? Is it a second? Is it a minute? Is it a day? 41 years is an hour to God. As you think about how you've been praying, have you really persevered in prayer for your requests? I'm going to show you a page out of a journal that I kept in college. When I was in college, I came to faith at 16. This is about the time that I was 18 years old. So as I'm going through college, I got in the habit of keeping a prayer journal. And what you see here is, is, a, pre, is a page out of it. Now, some things are highlighted because what I would do is I would re- write down a prayer request, and as I would pray through my journal, when God would answer a prayer, I would go back and I would highlight it. And I did this for two reasons. One is that it kept me from just being one of those people that was always asking God for things and never thanking him. So what I would do is I would start on page one of my journals. I would read through, pray through, and whatever point I got tired or ran out of time, I would stop praying there and I'd pick up the next day. Well, when I got to the end of where my recorded requests were, I'd turn back to page one and I'd pray back through these journals. Now here you see... Uh, a bunch of names. Diane, that's my sister. I have five brothers and sisters. I have uh, three brothers. I'm the fourth. There are four boys. I'm the third in the order. We're all within a year of each other. A few years later is my sister Diane, and then my sister Monica that you see at the bottom there comes even later. Now, you see, I was praying for my sister Diane to come to Christ. I was raised Catholic, and we had a great foundation knowing things about God, but I didn't understand true grace in the Catholic Church and neither did my family. And after I became a believer, I began to pray for my family. And I've had the privilege over the years of leading four of my five siblings, as well as my mom, to the Lord. My sister Diane, you see there, accepted Christ. Now, when somebody would come to Christ, I would go back and I'd write a new prayer for there, that they would grow in their walk with God, different things, so that's what you see. The guy Jesse Rodriguez and Tommy Pham and Chris, those were people who lived on the hall with me at the University of Texas at Austin in Simpkins. It was a men's dorm up on the hill, and uh, I lived in what the guys in our hall called the red light district. Uh, There were two dorm rooms at the end, and my room was the very next one. I had a good Christian roommate, a friend I went to high school with, but on the end, these guys would have piles of pornographic magazines, literally. This was back in the day before the internet. Starting to date myself here, but they had piles literally of pornographic magazines. So these guys would come down the hall. Well, Steve and I were known as the Bible, you know, that was the the holy huddle room. So we would leave our door open. These guys had to walk past our room to get to the red light district. And as they would come down, we'd kind of step out in the hall, hey, what you doing? Oh, I was going back to my room, you know, and they'd head that way. Well, I started to pray for these guys. One of them, Tommy and uh, Kwon, lived there. They were some guys from Vietnam. And then Jesse lived across the hall. Well, Tommy and Jesse, as you see, came to know the Lord. Chris was a guy a few doors down that also came to know the Lord. And so these were people I was praying for in college. And it was great once they came to the Lord, we carried all this stuff out to the dumpster and poured a bunch of stuff over it so other guys wouldn't come and fish it out. So if you see things in your world or your life that you're saying, this needs to change, pray. Pray for it. Uh, then you see my mom. I had the privilege of leading my mom to the Lord. She, she's home with the Lord now. She died nine years ago. 
And then my sister Monica has come to the Lord. And then you see some other things. My, the, the woman named Karen is married to my brother Michael. Uh, she has come to Christ since then. Uh, John was uh, a man that I lived with, John Stasny, when I was kicked out of the house at the age of 16. He was a godly attorney in the law firm that I worked for, uh, one of the two jobs I worked, and he has been instrumental in my life. And uh, Rachel and Peggy were girls I went to college with as well. And then William, you see my brother there as well, and he's come to know the Lord. Here's two other names, Dave Morgan and Gail Morgan. These are my mom and father-in-law. Uh, that's my wife's parents. They came to know the Lord in their 70s. Uh, neither one of them were believers. And so, again, when you ask yourself, how long are you praying for something? I prayed for my father-in-law for 21 years before he became a believer in Jesus Christ. How long are you praying for somebody? And then you see Kim with the little heart. I know that's cute. Um, <clears throat> that's the woman I married 26 years ago. And you see when we were in college dating, uh, mono, she actually has something called chronic Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome. She's had mono multiple times in her life. She doesn't develop immunity. You see, I prayed for her to do well in school. That was important. She needed to graduate so we could get married. So parents, sometimes a good godly boyfriend or girlfriend can actually be on your side in college. Uh, you see that uh, she would grow in Christ. She was a believer. We were praying for a Christ-centered relationship, something we continue to do 26 years into our marriage. Uh, pray for her jaw to heal. She had TMJ problems. Let me just say something about uh, faith in healing. I meet so many people who are told that they are not healed because they lack faith. Friends, that is bad theology. The Bible tells us a number of reasons why prayers are not answered. One can be unconfessed sin, but that's not always the case. As you look at your life, ask yourself, is there something blocking your relationship with the Lord? Men, the Bible tells us very clearly that if we're not loving our wives as Christ loved the church, that we can hinder our prayer life. That God, if we're not in right relationship with our wives, God's not going to be listening to our prayers until we get things right like we need to with our wives. Sin can block us in other ways. Uh, the Bible tells us, you see the story of one man who came to Jesus, and he had a child, and he wanted God to heal this child. And Jesus said, do you believe? And the man said, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus healed this child. And it wasn't because the man had enough faith. The guy said flat out, God, I don't know. But God in his mercy and grace still helped heal this person. We see other cases where people like Paul, a man of great faith, prayed numerous times, God, remove this thorn in the flesh from me. He had some kind of a physical ailment. And God did not remove it. Instead, God said, I have a better plan for you. My grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. I'm going to give you not the healing you request, but I'm going to give you the grace you need, and I'm going to use that in your life. So don't let people tell you that it's a lack of faith that has caused you not to be healed. Now, explore your life. There could be reasons, as I said, like James, we're asking with the wrong motives, that's why we don't. We may have sin in our life. We may lack some faith and need to be strengthened. But there is not a one-size-fits-all theology that fits that. Now, you see my dad on there, uh, that I prayed that I would be able to talk with him. On the previous page, you saw it was 1987 that I was praying these things. 
I told you already that at the age of 19, I left college and I went back to Dallas. My parents had divorced at that point. And I had been praying for several years that God would bring me to the point of forgiveness of my father and that I'd be willing to share the gospel with him. And I shared the gospel back 30 years ago with my dad. He said then he knew the Lord. Uh, when I met with him on Friday outside of Dallas in the Mesquite area, he said he knew the Lord. Now, God knows his heart. I don't. He's got a lot of baggage, and uh, I don't know uh, what his true condition of his heart is. He's saying the right things. That's between, between he and the Lord. I'm continuing to pray for clarity for my dad to really understand the full message of grace. Uh, I don't know. He says he's a believer. Uh, he understands. I went through the full gospel with him again, uh, but my dad is a mess. He's a mess uh, psychologically. He has some uh, neurocognitive issues that they're dealing with. He's a mess physically. He was struck by lightning two years ago. Uh, my dad's had quite a story. I mean, when I was growing up, he got electrocuted on a job site. The people there actually tried to kill him. He got electrocuted, thrown off a ladder into a corner. It broke his neck and back. I remember uh, as a kid helping put weights on the traction. The joke in our family is he's too mean to die. I mean, he's been electrocuted, broken neck and back. He's been struck by lightning now. Um, you know, God is not done with him yet. And for some of you, you have relationships with people that are like that. Uh, my dad is now in a place where he's getting the care he needs. He's in a nursing facility. We've got him there. And uh, I'll reassess in three months the next steps for him. We're working on getting uh, Social Security, Medicaid, all the things lined up to care for his physical needs. Uh, there's a plethora of things I've got to deal with regarding him. But he's, he's in a place right now getting the physical care he needs. And uh, spiritually, uh, he's at a place of getting that as well. So again, thank you for your ongoing prayers for him. And my siblings, they need it. There's five of them, and they're all over the map in this. Uh, many of them are not ready to deal with my dad. Uh, but I, I was praying over 30 years ago for this opportunity. And you know, I really believe that God opened this opportunity up because my kids have been praying for my dad recently. They've wanted to know my dad, their grandfather. And so uh, my kids have been praying for about two years. You know, where's your dad? What can God do with him? And so it's no accident that he suddenly surfaced. As you think about the things that you're praying for in your life, how long are you praying? I told you that uh, these are things that I've been praying for for a long time, and I've titled this message, Push. Sometimes this is how we have to push. We have to push hard because the door seems stuck. It's painted shut. Maybe you saw the Olympic thing where the bobsledder got locked in the bathroom, and uh, he broke the door down to get out. Uh, for some of us, we may need to push a little harder. We may need to try to kick the door in. Now, God's not going to let a door open that shouldn't open. But sometimes we haven't really pushed hard enough. We haven't really persevered long enough. As you look at what it is you've been praying for, are you persevering in prayer? When we pray, sometimes God's answer is yes, but not yet. We see that in Romans chapter 6, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. 
There it says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, this is speaking of Jesus in heaven in the end times. And it says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Here are those who have been glorified. They're in the presence of God in heaven, and they're saying, God, why not yet? Why the delay? And it says, and there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. You see, God says there is a time when these righteous prayers for justice will be answered. But it's not yet according to my plan. You don't have the whole picture. I do. Keep praying. Keep pushing. Keep believing. Keep doing what God wants you to do, persevering. You don't know if tomorrow is the day that the phone will ring and somebody you haven't seen in 25 years will be on the other end of the phone, like happened with me. You don't know if tomorrow is the day when God will answer that prayer. The way God answers the prayer may not be the way we choose, but God has a plan, and he tells us to continue to be a part of that plan, persevering in prayer. Other requests are granted, but there may be a delay in us seeing it. If you read Daniel chapter 10, you'll recall there Daniel had been praying for something and the angel Gabriel had been dispatched to tell Daniel. But as you read through the book of Daniel, you see that he was told, the angel said, the prayer was answered already. You just didn't know it because there was a delay. There was this demonic battle taking place and the angel Gabriel had not yet been able to, to tell Daniel the answer to the prayer. Through it all, what we find with Daniel is he remained faithful and he prayed on. As you looked at the prayer list that I had there, you saw all those things. You know, one of those was the health issues with my wife. Some of those things have continued to this day. Now, God has been gracious. He's given us less and less of the, the health issues, but they still surface periodically. And God in those times gives us the grace to deal with them and to, to go through them. And for some of you here, you've been dealing with, with chronic ongoing issues. And you're wondering, when? How long, O oh Lord, before you answer this prayer for relief? Now, <clears throat> as we look at what God tells us to do, in Mark, I told you there was the man who said, Lord, help my unbelief. There in Mark 9, 24, he had this demon-possessed daughter he wanted healed. And sometimes what God says is, I will help your unbelief. And there are other times the way God helps us is by changing our prayers, helping us to know how to pray better. In Romans 8, 26, it tells us in the same way, the Spirit of God also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Even when we don't know how to pray, God will help us. And he'll translate those prayers. I, I have to tell you that when... I was dealing with the situation with my dad early on. I was like, Lord, I don't know what I need to be doing here. I, I knew the, the steps that needed to be done for care and other things, but internally, uh, not only was I trying to navigate the waters of the way that I felt, and my 10-year-old daughter Hannah was saying, Daddy, I want to come with you to Dallas to see your dad. And I'm like, I don't know what his response is going to be when I walk in the room. So I said, honey, not yet. You know, I needed to get there first to find out what we were dealing with. 
And then with my brothers and sisters, I have one sister who's literally less than 15 minutes from the place where he is. And after I saw my dad, I went to her house and I talked with her and her husband. And she said, you know, at this point, he's forfeited the right to be in my life and that of our girls. And, you know, I'm praying for her. And my other brother there, you know, he's same way. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I've got another brother down by Corpus who said, you know, I'm going to make a trip up to see him. So there are times we don't know what to do or how to pray, and this is where God will help us. As you think of your prayers, are you pushing? And then if you're pushing, do you need to push harder? Do you need to keep persevering? Have you lost hope? Have you grown weary in the process? If so, what can you do to continue praying until something happens? Now, as you pray, sometimes something happens, but it's, as I said, not the way we want. Maybe the circumstances don't change, but you know what happens? Is that God changes you. If you can't change the circumstances, what often happens is God changes you. That's what he did with me when I was in that 16 to 19-year-old pattern where for three years I was saying, you know, my dad doesn't deserve forgiveness. And as a brand new believer, I would look to the cross and I would say, I didn't deserve forgiveness either. Do you remember what Jesus prayed as the soldiers and others were gambling and walking by and mocking him and spitting on him and on and on? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And as I looked at my dad and the hate that I was carrying early on in my life, I, you know, I came to the point, I said, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, one who's been forgiven by God, then I need to extend the same forgiveness that he gave to me. And that's what started the road for me. Now, it didn't come quick and easy. It took three years of wrestling with God. And God didn't change my dad then, and he hasn't fully changed my dad yet. But he's changed me, that I was able to walk into that room and sit there and talk with him and again hear from him, I, you know, I didn't really do anything wrong to y'all. I mean, to still have that feeling, you know, it's easy on the human side to want to argue with him and fight him. And I just said, you know, what you need to know today is this, that God offers you forgiveness for all the mistakes in your life. And if God can't change the circumstance, he can change us. And so as you're praying, as you're pushing hard, sometimes what you find is you are the one that has changed. I mean, if you push hard enough against something over a period of time, you'll develop muscles, right? You may not move the rock, but it'll change you. And so as you continue to push, God, the work he may be doing through your prayers is on you and not the other person. It's what happened with Paul. He didn't find healing from his physical affliction. But he did find God's peace, and he praised God for his great grace. Remember that later, Paul was in another difficult situation. He was in a Roman prison waiting to be killed for his faith. And as he was there in the Philippians, he wrote these words in the book of Philippians as he penned these words from prison awaiting death. He said in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What are you facing today? What are the giants that you're facing in your life today? Is it a loss of a job? A health issue? 
a loss of a loved one. As you're facing these things, are you pushing? Are you praying until something happens? Are you wrestling with God in the process and saying, God, I need you and I need your help? In Luke 18, 1, we're told to pray and not lose heart. Remember, it means not to be afraid. And when these things come, we can try to carry them alone or we can go to God and we can let our requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's what y'all were doing for me this past week as you were praying as I entered into these uncharted waters once again. And I appreciate that. And are you doing that for others? I see Ron Kendall here. His lovely wife just went home to be with the Lord as well. And many of you have been praying for their family through the whole process. For many years, I saw Ron and Norma. You know, I go to Waterburger a lot, and they would go there, and I'd see them there. And he loved his wife well, and he walked with her through those, those hard days, and many of you supported that family in prayer and surrounded them. And so this is what God calls on us to do, to be those who are upholding these needs before God for ourselves and for others. As you pray and as you persevere with God, I want to give you one final picture, and that's from Genesis chapter 32. There you'll recall there was a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob later became Israel. Now, he was named Jacob because he was a supplanter. He always ran ahead of God. He was a schemer, was literally his name. And we're told that as he faced the next day seeing his brother Esau that he had cheated out of his birthright and he was afraid he's going to kill me. And as Jacob was up that night wrestling with God in prayer, God manifested himself with a, a, a physical presence. And he literally got into a physical wrestling match. Now, as they wrestled, as he wrestled there in Genesis 32, Jacob said, uh, the angel as daylight was approaching said, let me go. And Jacob hung on. He said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Now, the, the text tells us Jacob had the angel in a full Nelson, right? The guy was kind of, they were locked together in battle. But the reality is it's kind of like this bogus ring of honor wrestling. I'm sorry if you're a big fan of that. But, you know, that's, you know, kind of all scripted. And at one point they could throw the other person aside like it was nothing. And this was the angel of the Lord, a theophany, possibly God's presence himself. And he could have just thrown Jacob aside like it was nothing. But the text is there to tell us to persevere in prayer. It gives us an image of a man who wrestled with God through the night to the point of weariness. And then God did indeed bless him. And we're told that right before he released him, that he reached down and he touched his hip socket and he threw it out of joint. And after that, Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. He was never, ever able to run ahead of God again, was he? When you've encountered the living God, your walk changes, and his did physically. He was unable to ever run ahead, and he was dependent upon God. And God changed this man, changed his name as well, from a schemer and a grabber to Israel, which means one who fights or persists with God. As you look at your life today, are you persisting in prayer? Are you persevering? Is there some hard thing you're dealing with where you need to push harder? You know, what I want you to do is to remember this acronym of PUSH. And every time you walk through a door anywhere going into a store where it says PUSH, just remind yourself, pray until something happens. 
Am I persevering in prayer? Is there a need, a person that I'm praying for, a situation in my own life that I'm praying for? And when you feel like giving up, just remember to push, to keep praying. What I want you to do now is just to take a moment and to think about something in your life that you've been praying for and maybe have grown discouraged or weary and to renew your commitment to pray for it. I want you to think about some situation that you may know of, of another family member, a friend at work or school, somebody that needs prayer today. I want you to just take a moment to go to God in prayer, and then I'll close this out in a moment. So let's just talk to God in, in this time. Lord God, as we're gathered here today, we thank you for the reminder in your word, not only that we are to continue to pray and to persevere, that you as a father want to know what our needs are, and you, you desire us to come to you and to share with you. But Father, we thank you for the reminder in your word that we have a relationship with you bought and purchased through your, the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who restored the broken relationship, who provided the avenue to you, not just eternally, once we die, getting to go home to be with you in heaven, but, Father, the, the way that we get to come to talk to you, not as some far and distant judge, not as some cosmic creator who's uninterested in us, but as our daddy, somebody who wants us to crawl up in, our lap, in your lap and just to say, Daddy, I'm scared. Or, Daddy, I just want to tell you about my day. We thank you that you have that time for us, that you have that relationship for us, that you, you want that. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be those who would come to you with our needs. God, we thank you for the reminder that in those times where we don't even know how to pray, that you, Holy Spirit, who lives within us, are, are there to help us, to translate our prayers to be what they need to be, to be the one that will prompt and help us in the ways we need to pray. So, Father, I pray for the, the relationships that have been mentioned today, others that are broken, maybe with a spouse, with a wayward child, maybe even with a parent for some who are here could be a workplace or a school issue. Father, you know the many needs that are here. And again, we thank you that you're concerned for each and every person and each and every need, that nothing is too small or too big for you to handle. And so God, would we be those who renew our, our prayer life? Would we be those who would continue to push 
to continue to persevere in prayer even when we've lost hope or heart. And Lord, we thank you that we have those who can surround us and support us, even now, men and women who are standing at the front, who are here to, to be your representatives, to be the ones who can lay a hand on a shoulder, to remind people that they're not alone, to pray with them. And so I pray, Father, that we would be those who would avail ourselves of others around us, who can strengthen and support us. Lord, we thank you for your great love, and we look forward to the ways that you're going to bring answers to the prayers that have been offered today. We commit these things to you, and thank you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.